Welcome to Navigating Education, the podcast. The podcast that can help educators from around the world navigate not only the present, but also the future. Through discussions of instruction, ed tech, policy, and school leadership, we're here to connect with you and educators from around the world to help them amplify student learning for the betterment of our students and their future. All right, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Navigating Education, the podcast. I'm Dr. Matt Rhodes, your host, and I'm today with Joshua Stamper, and we're going to be talking about trauma-informed practices, and this is something that I'm really excited to talk about because as someone that's done um, positive behavior um, intervention as well as restorative justice, um, and I, I'm just wanting to learn more and add to that toolkit that I have as well as for our listeners as you know, we're beginning a school year when this is being recorded. It, today is, uh, I believe, the 25th today. And for many schools, it's the start of a new semester, or some people have already been in for almost a month so far. But I think just in terms of as we move into this school year, it's kind of an interesting, um, we're not back to fully like normal, but I think it's normal-ish versus going into versus the last year. Um, but I still feel that, you know, it's like, I don't want to be cliche, but quote unquote, new normal. And I put that in parentheses, and I put ish near it. So uh, you never know what's going to happen um, throughout the entire school year. And depending on where you're at, it can change in, in a moment's notice. So I'm just really excited to talk about these practices um, that uh, Joshua, who is um, definitely um, an expert in this, he's been an assistant principal. He is working currently with the Teach Better team. He has a book um, on leadership, and he's been in schools um, working with the trauma-informed practices for a long time. So he's probably one of the better people to talk to because he's got his hands in this quite a bit in his career. So definitely uh, excited to talk about it. So as we begin, Josh, I gave you a little bit of introduction. So tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, of course. Well, first off, I want to say thank you for having me, man. I love your program, and it's an honor to be here and be able to share on on this important topic and one that I'm super passionate about. So a little bit about myself. I have been in education for 17 years. I made a career shift when the economy crashed. I went from a graphic designer to not knowing what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. Um, thankfully, my wife was there to support me, and um, I, I really tapped into two of my passions, which was art and coaching. So um, at the time, I started as a paraprofessional, went to night school and, and coached on the side. And uh, we shifted from Minnesota to Texas and uh, started as an art teacher and coach. Uh, coached football, basketball, and track and did that um, with art for six years. About my third year, I got tapped on the shoulder by my assistant principal. And, and they said they thought that I had the leadership skills to potentially do something um, and lead a building. And I, I laughed at them. Um, I didn't actually think they were serious because I was just figuring out the role in the in that year. I felt like I was just understanding what to do in the classroom and on the field. And uh, after some consideration, about a month later, I was in the master's program for administration. And a couple years later, I had a wonderful opportunity to go to a school as their dean of students. And so in that role, it's mostly just working with student discipline. 
um, even though you're doing a lot of other things as far as assessing teachers and, and doing a lot of the safety and security um, around the building also. I did that for a year and then was promoted to assist principal and um, I've been in that role for the last nine years um, in two different districts. So this summer though, I, I did shift and went from being a building administrator to working with the Teach Better team. I'm now the training and development specialist for them and super excited for the, the different projects and things that I get to do every single day, just supporting teachers. And um, like your intro said, I mean, it's been a very difficult couple of years and I just wanna make sure that I'm here to help in any way possible to make sure everyone is getting the support, but then also, you know, the, the different topics that they need and specifically here, what we're gonna talk about today, which is the trauma-informed piece. No, definitely. And I think that just from your experience in different leadership capacities in multiple buildings, as well as um, being Dean of Students, I think you've probably seen a wide range of just, you know, anything that can possibly happen at a school. So, and then seeing like, what are you going to do about that? I mean, I think for us, for many of us sitting in the classroom or building when something happens, when you just are least likely to know, like, well, how, how am I going to navigate this? How am I going to have the conversation with the student? as well as, you know, what are the ramifications for the other students, you know, family, everyone else. I mean, it's like a nexus of things that are involved. And it's just like, at the time when you're that person in that situation, you got to make that decision. And then having that toolkit of um, things that you need to make that decision to, you know, hopefully make the best decision possible to support that, you know, that student, that person, and then just ensure that, you know, it, the ramifications from that are, you know, more so positive than anything else. So I want to talk a little bit about for you, what, when we talk about trauma-informed practices for the working definition of this, before we talk more in depth into what's your definition of this? Yeah, I think for trauma-informed practices, it's essentially finding strategies that you can use to create a environment of restoration. And I think for myself, I didn't really have the tools. You said toolkit, right? When I went into being the Dean of Students, I came in with just knowing the three different tools that I used as a teacher, which was used on me as a student, which was detention, in-school suspension, and out-of-school suspension. And I put those on my tool belt and I used them really, really well. Unfortunately, what was happening though on my campus was when I used those tools, it didn't apply to everyone the same, right? And what was happening was the incidents were occurring more and I was getting frustrated. The families were frustrated, the students were, and the teachers especially were frustrated because nothing was, was actually um, turning around in that sense. So just a little background on, on myself and why I even got into trauma-informed practices was um, at that year, I was actually crazy frustrated. I was actually thinking about just leaving education as a whole that's, that's how frustrated I was. And I just felt like I wasn't making a difference. At the same time, my wife and I became foster parents and went through the foster care training. Uh, I, I'll be honest, my mindset wasn't in the greatest space because we already had two biological children. And I was like, well, why do I need to be trained? I know how to do this. I've done it. You know what I thought was successfully with my two biological children, but what turned out to be a frustration for me actually turned out to be the best training I've ever received. And it was, we had to go to a TCU, Texas Christian University. Professor Purvis was providing this amazing training on trauma-informed practices. And the whole idea was that so many foster care students have gone through trauma based on the environment they're in or chronic stress. And those two things affect so many things within the body. 
And one of the major ones is the brain and where a student or a child in this sense was constantly going into a fight, flight or freeze state where they were just trying to survive. There was no rationale. It was just literally to make sure that they were alive the next day. And we got a, just a list of behaviors that we might see as foster parents. And this light bulb moment occurred where I saw these behaviors. And I'm like, I'm seeing these in my campus every single day. And all I'm doing is either sending them and putting them in a room or I'm sending them home. And it's just making the circumstance worse, the relationship worse and the community worse because they were getting trouble out there also in the neighborhoods. And so I started to think about, okay, what can I do with these trauma informed strategies on the campus to make sure that we're actually working with the underlying issues versus just trying to slap a bandaid on it and hope it heals. Uh, because what was happening was the students and the families were definitely not healing and the behaviors were only getting worse. No, I, I, I like that evolution of you as a, as an educator in person, just thinking of those experiences that you had with your own very own children and going through the foster care system and kind of, you know, really learning the ins and outs of how do you navigate, you know, incorporating these, you know, these children into my family and like what type of practices can I help them mitigate, you know, those traumas that they have experienced in their lives, the upheavals um, from their formal family and just those experiences and then thinking about, you know, how can you apply those in our schools? So when we're talking about the application piece, so what did you learn? What were some of those, you know, strategies that you learned that should be in everyone's toolkit? Yeah, so as far as the tools go, the main thing was understanding the language of behavior because so often we just assume that behavior is like, oh, that's just a bad kid. And we need to take that stigma out of it and understand that the behavior, especially for our students where their brains are developing at a rapid pace, which is pretty much any adolescent child, then we need to understand that a lot of times they don't understand the emotions that are going through their mind. And the behaviors are, are really just a uh, communication tool that they're providing us and we need to decipher what that is. And so, you know, we talk about social emotional learning and a lot of those um, pieces to that is them understanding their emotional regularity. And a lot of times we don't teach that. We just expect that the, our students come in every single day and they, they possess these skills like, Oh, I understand this emotion, this feeling that I have. And now I'm able to verbally communicate that to you so that I can get the resources I need to fix it. And oftentimes that's not the case at all, especially someone that's gone through trauma. Um, because like I said, the, the brain has been disrupted. Um, it's even immune systems are, are shutting down. I mean, there's a lot of things that occur in the body, the, literally the cells in a human body is changing, especially with trauma and chronic stress. So like for us as, as educators, we just need to make sure that we understand what those behaviors are. So then we can really kind of dig down deeper as far as, okay, what is this child living through? And then what is the environment that we can create to make sure that there's some healing going on? Now, obviously we're not superman or superwoman to like make sure that we totally heal the child wholly, but we need to make sure that we're not reintroducing other traumas to make it way worse. And so that's, you know, looking at communication skills, how are we de-escalating emotions? And then how are we teaching our students to not only identify their feelings, but then also how to regulate themselves so we can get them back into the classroom? No, I... I think those are all, you know, really key things to think about. And we have to model with our students and ourselves as being the models like that regulation ability 
as well as, you know, identifying our feelings when certain things happen. And I, and I come from a special education background and I really think that social stories, especially I think for any age, to be honest, are really great ways to illustrate, um, you know, situationally how things can happen and how to, you know, what are some, you know, constructive ways to react when those things occur versus what are some ways that are not necessarily positive ways to react. And I think that for me, at least, I think the social story piece is huge, but I also think for our students is having that time throughout the day to identify, you know, how they're feeling and being able to be, you know, having the, the skills to, you know, talk about it openly in the classroom. And that's where the cultural piece comes in. Yep. And that's something that you build over time, I think. So um, those are um, the things that I come to mind. What Anything else that comes to your mind relating to um, what, what do you like to see in classrooms for teachers when they want to work with emotional intelligence or social emotional learning? Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely a bridge between not only the social emotional learning, which I was talking about, but then also restorative practices and relationship building. Right. So, you know, the, the piece, like the, the check-ins, I know that's typically associated with um, elementary classrooms, but we actually at the secondary use those also. And there's a variety of ways to do that um, paper form or digitally. And a lot of my teachers, especially with COVID switch that to digital where it's a Google form that a student is able to identify like where they're at and we use number systems some use colors but then also we had uh, an area where you know do you need certain resources do you need to speak to a counselor right now do you need food do you need water like just some of the essentials that a student may not feel comfortable to say out loud in front of their peers but are able to put into a form that allows us to understand okay this something happened, I don't know what, but we need to provide that resource, no questions asked. And so we felt like a check-in like that gave them a safe space to be able to share with us what's going on in their life, or at least a need that they have, so that we can we can address it right away. And that way they can get you know back into the classroom and focus on the learning piece. Because if something's occurred at home that's been extremely traumatic, there's no learning going on anyway. So let's make sure that we understand that something's happened and then get them the help that they need so we can address that as soon as possible. No, definitely. And I feel that um, that's like a, a great strategy for that cohort check-in. And then, for example, that morning meeting is that um, overt check-in where you have the opportunity to do it like a round-robin style and just have a quick check-in that way. So I think those are two really good um, ways of providing that check-in piece. And what do you think is something that – teachers or just in schools in general can do what, what do you think is like the extension of that well for i mean i'm going to go back to kind of what what we started on our campus which is the relationship action team you know because a lot of teachers including myself didn't have this information i just i didn't know until i was you know going into that training and so what i did was when i when i got that information i learned through that program i brought it to the campus and said okay where's maybe a small group of people that are looking for something else to work through their classroom to, you know, get to the bottom of what's going on with student behavior. And so I had about seven people that I came to and asked to be a part of this relationship action, action team. And what we did was it truly was learning. I didn't have all the answers. They didn't either. So let's learn together and then let's experiment. Let's just try things out into the class and, 
And if it works, then bring it back to the group. But then also let's let's make sure that we're sharing it with our teams and with our neighbors so that they understand that this might be something that they can use also. And a lot of things came out of that. Um, one of them was um, an opportunity for teachers to be able to address a situation in the moment versus them just sending them to the office. And because when you send a student to the office, typically what has happened is that there's a fracture in that relationship, right? You have, you've taken them from their environment and you've said, go away. And then when they come back, whenever that is, then magically they've learned their lesson and the relationship between the teacher and the student is fantastic. And, you know, kumbaya, we move on. Right. But in actuality, what has happened is that, that, that fractured relationship still occurs. If they went to ISS to sit in a room, most likely they didn't learn through that. They just were taken away from the learning environment and their peers. And then, you know, they may not have gotten any teaching piece there to understand who has been affected. What are the, the skills moving forward to not do that again? And then, of course, you know, if there's a trauma piece, you know, what do they need as far as resources? So um, what we did was what's called a push in, which is when a teacher is having potentially disruption or something where they need to speak to the student, they would call the front office, a counselor, um, a coach, a uh, administrator, counselor, whoever is able to come up to that classroom, leave that teacher, you know, still stick with the license, you know, so that way the learning is still occurring. But then that teacher is able to step out with that student and have that conversation one-on-one, -on -one, kind of get to the bottom of what's going on, make an action plan in that walk that they're going on with, with the student, and they're hopefully able to bring them back in the learning environment. And what we found in, in the data was you're not just sending kids out for minor infractions where they're losing 20 to 40 minutes of instructional time where it could be addressed. But then also the, the relationship between the teacher and the, and the student was strengthening because they were working through that together. Because so often when a student gets sent to the office, the relationship that's getting stronger is between the student and the administrator. And that's not really what needs to occur. No, I, I can definitely see that. And that was about you. You, you basically answered the last question that uh, the next question I had for us, which was the whole school trauma. So with that action, that relationship action team, was that something that was in place before the pandemic for you guys? Or was that something that you guys developed um, over the last few years? Nope. Honestly, the timing couldn't have been more perfect. Um, you know, I've, I've been at two different campuses, two different districts. Um, so about eight years ago, I started the, the first relationship action team and we slowly built that up. So the first year we had seven people that were a part of it, but you know, like I was saying, we, I kind of charged everyone to say, okay, if you're going to do these strategies, you need to make sure if it's working that you tell someone else by the end of the school year, we had like 35 people, a part of that group, which was essentially about half the teachers in the first year. So it was kind of a gradual, slow rollout. And the reason I did that was because if I did it as a top-down initiative, people would have done it because they had to do it, not because they saw value in it. And so I wanted to make sure that it wasn't an initiative that died because it just came from the top. And because we kind of did it as a grassroots situation, um, people were learning and wanted to be in that space to learn about not only the behaviors, but how they can, you know, potentially do something different in their classroom to make sure that, you know, they're building that relationship, but then also are finding a creative solution for a, a behavior. Right. So I did that then going to my second campus and it was two years before the pandemic that we started that process. So things were already in place. So when the pandemic hit and so much additional trauma occurred, I mean, honestly, 
you know, Matt, there's 70% of the students in the United States have at least one form of trauma. So then you add the pandemic on top of that. And you're like, <laughs> probably at like 80% at least. Um, not only that, but our staff too, like we had so many things going on with our staff the last few years that we were starting to use those strategies with them as adults too, because their mental health is just as important as our students. And so, yeah, it was just kind of a thing that we had that we didn't realize how important it was until, you know, it hit and then, um, it just amplified it because, you know, trauma didn't just suddenly appear. It was always there, but the pandemic really put a spotlight on it. And it now districts and schools are sharing the importance of all these different factors, right? The SEL, the trauma informed, the restorative practices and how important that is in the lives of so many who are struggling right now. Um, in addition to that, we, we switched our ISS room to a social emotional learning room. So we completely redesigned it. Um, we tried to make it so that it was a space for students to be able to go when they needed to calm down to learn those regulation strategies and then be able to not be in that space for the entire day or for that entire period. It was, it was a place really to learn and then be able to go back into the environment. So yeah, it, it took some time to get everybody on board to understand the how and the why, um, that why piece is really important, especially if you're not used to, um, the idea that, you know, so many of our students have trauma. Um, but I think for our staff, I was really proud of them understanding not only the why piece, but really diving into like, let's experiment and try things out um, for the betterment of the kids. I think that's uh, th those supports throughout, you know, the entire campus community is, is what we need and to build it not only for our students, but for our teachers. And I think that, you know, even adults, I think, you know, whether you're, it, I think this is intergenerational um, that I just think that people just aren't equipped and this is historic, haven't been equipped with the emotional intelligence skills to, yep navigate um you know everyday trauma that you experience and that i think hopefully the paradigm has been shifting now to where you know we will begin really focusing on teaching these skills really really early on and yep. then building like we you mentioned with that type of relationship support team and along with hopefully um hiring more mental health care providers for yes not only students, but also for staff and having those available to them within the school itself versus having to go to some sort of outside providers because of um, the access issues. So I think that hopefully where we're going is that we're, we're getting closer and closer to doing that. And I think that that's an amazing example of what you guys are doing and what, what type of, um, you know, what did you see as a change for your students? Yeah, I think the, the change was that they're starting to understand that it's not a gotcha, right? I, I think so often, like especially early on when I was a dean of students or early in my assistant principal's uh, journey, it was like, who's in trouble? Who are you here to get? You know, and, and that started to shift to understand like the administration, the counselors, the teachers are really here for me and trying to understand what's my situation. And that's not just a cookie cutter okay, you did X, Y, and Z equals this punishment. It was really trying to figure out what's going on behind the scenes, what is happening in your life and, and trying to understand who they are as people too. Um, you know, every situation is different. Every person is different. And, and that was something early on my staff was getting frustrated with because it was like, you know, Matt did this and Josh did this, but they didn't get the same consequence. Why is that? Like, I don't understand. And we had to like break it down for them to understand like, 
you know, this, this situation and what's going on in their life is far different and fares on equal. Like <laughs> we, we need to understand that, you know, there's a consequence here and it's a teaching moment and we're going to use different solutions and get the same product in the sense that they're understanding, they're learning, and they're going to do something different. And, you know, when we started implementing like restorative practices and restorative circles with our students, I know it's, it's in line with trauma informed strategies, but when we started doing that, we started to see that the infractions didn't occur again. It was like 90% rate where if we did a restorative circle with a student, that behavior didn't occur again. And so, you know, with, you talked about PBIS, right? The, the positive behavior intervention piece, you know, a lot of that is making sure that we're disseminating the information to our staff as far as the data. So we had data points too that correlate with the restorative practices and the trauma informed, right? So they're all meshing together. And then we need to make sure that they understand like what we're doing is working <laughs> and here's the data that supports that. So don't stop, keep doing what you're doing. It may, especially, you know, in October and February, feel like the, the sky is falling and, you know, we can't move forward because, you know, student behaviors increase, like the work that we're doing is, is impactful and you may not see it today. We may not see it for three years. The high school might get <laughs> the benefit of our hard work, but just know that these little pieces that we're doing is making a difference in the lives of our students. I, I like just the notion of, that you just talked about, just piecemealing all those practices together. I think sometimes we choose like one of these areas, these realms, and say like, all right, this is what we're doing. And I think that it's with anything, it's a holistic, you know, puzzle to figuring this out and and it in different places need different things and i think having knowledge of you know all these realms is really important because then you can you know implement like you mentioned those types of groups um, throughout the school for staff and they can include that coaching and training piece um, that meet the needs of them as well as the students so i think that that's um really huge. And I hope that schools and districts really, you know, push towards that type of practice versus putting all their um, marbles in a jar for just one particular area. So as we move towards the end of our episode today, and I'm going to ask you another one of these types of questions, but, you know, if I was a first year teacher right now, what would be, <laughs> what would be the first uh, action that I could take as a new teacher to implement just something really easy into my class to begin the year that could be a trauma-informed practice. Yeah. So man, first year teacher. So, you know, you talked about this before, Matt, like any first year teacher is just trying to learn mostly the curriculum and, and how to survive each day. Um, how I mean, I know for myself and many um, that I've, you know, supported over the years, first year teachers don't really get an opportunity to work through student management. So I think those strategies are, are definitely what's needed. You know, what are you doing to make sure that you truly have a relationship with a student? Um, I think the relationship building is, is not something you just do the first two days of the year, but do all throughout the school year. So what are your brain breaks looking like? What are your, your times in the, in the morning when you do your check-in, like how are you getting to know them so they can identify similarities not only to their peers but to you as the teacher um, because that goes a long way um, but then also like do you know their family do you know their brothers or sisters their cousins their aunts their uncles maybe they're living with grandma or grandpa like 
you need to understand like more to the student than just them coming in and being compliant in your class because compliance is not a relationship. So, you know, that, that's my main thing is like understanding the needs of your students. Um, I always tell my, my staff, doesn't matter who in the building, you better have bottles of water. You better have snacks. And if you need those, make sure you come to the front office to get that because we have a budget that represents that because our students have needs, even though a lot of ours are in a fluent area, a lot of them are not either. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> you don't know the situation. You don't know how many people are working or what's going on in the household to know that they have food and are being able to, to get access to those things. Right. Yeah, I think it's the little things like you yeah. mentioned. I think just having, you know, that check-in, having maybe a morning circle, um, you know, like you said, brain breaks where you can maybe gain some more information about the students and they can have a little fun. Um, yeah, all those little things add up over time. And I think as first-year teachers as well as just newer teachers in general, and I've seen experienced teachers do this, is that, I think, and, and I'm guilty of this, is just like focusing too much on instruction and curriculum and really at the end of the day, you know, that matters, but it, it's not probably the most important thing that we're doing, right? We're trying to build people up so that they can go out and do amazing things. And I think the relationship piece is the biggest piece of them being able to do that. And yep. regardless of what you teach them, I think you and I can recall teachers that maybe we don't necessarily have learned the most in their class, but we remember that class because of them and maybe remember more so than other classes because of that person that believed in us or had that relationship with us. So um, that's kind of my recommendation there for younger teachers um, in the profession, just to build upon what you have mentioned. So as we finish off the episode, you know what? You know, it can, this can be anything. I, I, I just make this question really open because, Josh, you see a lot of different things in education. You know, you've seen, you, you're very well connected. You've done a lot. And as we enter this, you know, 22-23 school year, as, as we stand here August 25th as we're recording this, what are two tips and strategies that you recommend educators, maybe regardless of their context and role, that they can do to navigate the present and the future? Well, going on topic, I think, you know, being creative, I think so much in the sense of like, let, let's stick with discipline. You know, we do so much in the instructional world as far as strategies and resources. But when it comes to student behavior, we have three tools in our toolbox with one person that makes that decision. And, and I just wish it was different because if you don't have a managed class, no learning is going to occur that's how that's how important student management is in the classroom so you know it doesn't matter if it's first year or 20 year teacher like if, if they don't understand how to function and make sure that the students are truly engaged then then we're through right and like you were saying my favorite teachers are the ones that had flexibility in the classroom that weren't so rigid that believed in me that spoke positive things in my life and then also it wasn't rote learning where I was sitting and getting all the time. Right. But that was for me. Um, every student's a little bit different. So as far as like discipline goes, I just wish like every campus provided the resources possible, like counseling, like what you said, or um, social workers or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is that you potentially can put forward. Uh, for us, we had like a boys program and a girls program for kids that were really struggling that we identified that 
had these needs at home or weren't being supported at home and they just needed guidance. They, they had all the leadership skills and we knew they were going to be fantastic people when they grew up if they just had a little bit more support. Right. So we took funds and we put it toward that, you know, and that was just something that we creatively put together. It wasn't a district initiative. It wasn't a program that we, we constructed or were buying from some other company. It was just something that we desired for these certain folks or groups. Right. So, um, you know, all that being said is as far as the, the students, as far as their behavior, just making sure that you are being creative with your funds, being creative with your systems, being creative with your programs to make sure that that is being supported more than anything. Because if that behavior is not there, I assure you that the learning's not. And the best way to get information to the brain is through the heart. I, I love that. Um, how you just really just uncanned just so much there because I think every single school is unique and every single school has a variety of different things that they can do organically and in, in a creative manner to address the, you know, the unique body of students that they serve. And, um, and then also just, you know, from the heart to the brain. I mean, if you're, if you're not right, um, then you're not learning. And um, I really think that that's a really good thought there. So, Joshua, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a fantastic episode, and I think there's so many good nuggets here for educators of all contexts. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, so thank you, everyone, for listening and tuning in today. And if you want to follow the podcast, check out MatthewRhodes.com or your uh, favorite listening po uh, podcast listening applications. And you can follow me on Twitter at MattRhodes1990. I also wanted to mention for the first time publicly that in this episode that a new book is coming out called Crushing It from the Start, 50 Tips for New Teachers, which is why I mentioned the, uh, the new teacher question. And that should be coming out in the next month or so from School Rubric. I'm doing it with Samantha Feisch, Casey Jupagowski, and Kevin Leichman. So really super excited about it. And I can't wait to talk more about it and everyone can check it out. So Thank you so much, everyone, and have a fantastic rest of your week as we begin this school year. Have a good one.